What up? We are in. My man Booty Brown just joined. Hold on. Hold on. Brown. Peace, peace. What's sorry good? About last week. I'm sorry about that. You know, man. Like, like stuff. Of course. Of For course. Sure. How are you? I mean, you know, I just say, uh, you know, one of those things. In yeah. Life, life, life tries to break you as much as it can, you know? I know, but and yet here we are. Exactly. Here we are. You know, I, I got to say, man, um, it, you know, this is part two, by the way, everybody, to our mobile homies conversation with Booty Brown from the legendary group, The Far Side. And, you know, we had a two hour conversation last time and we just got to the second album. You know what I mean? So and I, I appreciate you sticking with me, man, because what I heard after the fact was that. Brown is the guy that doesn't, re- you know, he kind of passes on the interviews. I was told, man. No, nah, I'm not. I'm not a not a big not a big thing, but you know. So having said that, I, I just want to say I really appreciate you doing this, man. That's you know, good. That's good. you know, because I mean, I mean, I'm about to take up four hours total of your life. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but but I think it's. I mean, it, it's only right because I mean yourself, the far side. I mean, y'all have given us many many years of your lives. You know what I mean? And and provided us with so much music and memories, new and old. You know what I mean? It obviously it just doesn't stop with the with the with the 90s and the 2000s you know i mean i mean you guys have given us so much music and so much memorable shit over the years you know what i mean so i i again i just want to say no, thank no, you I, thank I you i appreciate it you know yeah like i said I, I try not to do it often but when somebody asks and i feel like it's going to be something that represents in the right way in the correct way then you know Magazines, I just know that, you know, most of the time they ask and they it's one of those things that they're just trying to get to something like it's not necessarily going to be a history kind of thing, which I just know there's a lot of people that have questions like I try to stay away from the social kind of craziness that people just want to just go out there and talk about all the time. I just, you know, so try to keep it. Legit wise. Well, I appreciate it, man. And and we were just about to get into uh Lab Cabin California, but the thing that the thing that I realized I did not ask you as we transition from Bizarre Ride to Lab Cabin, obviously it was a change in era. You had your first major label album under your belt. We had just started to talk about Dilla on the second album but let me ask you this before we get into that because i think this is really important because it 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 really shows where the group was at mentally and spiritually at that time what was the process like when you were making bizarre ride compared to the thought process as you were about to begin lab cabin i think i think the most important thing out of when you just making albums in general is that when you make that first album 
depending on your age or whatever is going on, you have you have so much to collect from. Like mm-hmm. you have a whole life that you can put into <laughs> that first one. Like you you just have so much to talk about. Right. And then when you go from your second album, it's almost like a refresher from your life. Like you like you pick up bits and pieces maybe you didn't get from that first album that you wanted to put into it. Mm. So you pick up those pieces and then you start. It's like that little span between that first album, second album. Like, okay, this is my life between that that mm-hmm. period of time. I would say that you know, like I said, the first album, I think nobody was over, probably everybody was like 21. I'd probably say the oldest person was like 21. Wow. So at, at, at that time, well, you know, and then you have people that start albums much older because like sometimes I, I'll look at people that I think is older, like a Big Daddy Kane or people like that. And I'll be like, man, these guys must be old. Then I realize I'm like, oh, shit, they're not that older than, than us. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, I, and then... I kind of understand because they started such a younger age, like Special Ed and them, like they were 16 when they were in the mix. You know what I'm saying? Facts, facts, and, yes. And, and, so, and so I realized like, oh shit, then there, I'm the same age as such and such. Or I'm the same age as this person, you know? So I say, all, I say all that to say when we started first album, like I said previous in the first interview, that because we were the age that we were and we had been through so much i felt like oh shit like we're not going to be homeless we're not going to be bums mm. like it was just an excitement so i think that was what you what was captured on the first album just that excitement of like okay our lives haven't been just thrown out the window yeah and then with the second album you know going back again to the first uh first interview where i was saying like daylight was coming out with Daylight Was Dead, Tribe was coming out with Midnight Marauders, and it was just yeah. a much, it was much, um, I hate to use the word darker period, but you kind of felt a shadow, like uh, like a shadow over the industry, because mm-hmm. now you're like all these people that are starting to understand like, hey, I should be at this point, mm-hmm. but why am I still dealing with stuff here? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just what we were dealing with, like that. So, so the process of, of of the first album where we were extremely excited to mm-hmm. to get that done to like yeah. the next album where we're kind of like, mm, what's what's kind of going on here? We don't really know what's going on. There's sort of like this loss of innocence, like from the first album to the second album, right? And right. and I felt that same way. You hear that a lot from artists going into their sophomore project, you know, it's like they enter into the first album, bright eyed and bushy tailed, and they just want to make a great, al- you know, did you, when you went into that first album, were there any conversations with the group? Like, Oh, it's gotta be X, Y, Z. It's gotta be this. And we got to make sure that we do this. I mean, like how much conversation was happening between the four of you and then Jay Swift, well, I, I just say, like, honestly, like, when we made the, before we started, like, we we kind of came up that, like, there's only going to be three albums. We felt like every great, every great musician mm-hmm. or every great band have only, they topped after three albums. Like, mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, we felt like Jimi Hendrix, like, all these people, we, it, it was a list of people that we were like, you know what? 
after your third album, it's a wrap. Like you, know, you only you only really get like three good albums. After. Right. Yeah. So we never really looked at it like, oh, we're gonna make ten albums and like like the the two shorts and stuff like that. Like we never we never really branded ourselves in that sense that we were gonna make all those albums like that. So, but as far as us, um, what we wanted to do for the first album, I, I, I we talked, but I don't think we necessarily had like any super direction of where we were going to go or what's going to do afterwards. It was more or less like, let's just have a complete idea and story for the first album. And, and what was that idea and that story that y'all were, that y'all discussed? Um, like what did well, that, I mean, what I mean, did that look like? When you break down the art and everything, I mean, basically the idea was you'll do everything for a woman. And that's that's that that kind of was so when you see the the roller coaster and you see everything, it was based on like uh, approval of attracting a woman in some in some type of way, whether it's playing your music loud, the way you dress, just all this stuff. So that's when you see the roller coaster going into the whatever, you know what I'm saying? That's, right. That's basically what the premise was was based on the album. So that's really interesting. I never, I mean, I, I, I remember looking at the album cover like, oh shit, they're going into a vagina. That's a roller coaster going into a vagina, right? Like I remember that shit, right? But I didn't, I didn't realize that that was the premise of the album is that, you know, so, so are you saying that you like went into this feeling like this is to, this is to impress women? This album is too important. It's every, for everything, women. Every, everything, everything that a heterosexual man does is 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 to impress a woman. You know Facts. what I'm saying? Yes. The mm-hmm. roller coaster ride was was strictly about girls, women, us. What what you will do to attract a woman? You know. And that would explain all the most known songs then on the record from Other Fish, Passing Me By. You know. Wow. Okay. That's really enlightening. Okay. That's dope. So you're coming out of that album. And, and what was your lot? What were your lives like after that? In that, in that in between period? I mean, were you on the road a lot? Were you touring? I mean, I've, we talked about in the last conversation, you were embraced by your peers. Um, when you were talking about the, the term alternative, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. at that, at that time, people were putting us with, like we were going out with like three eleven and and Power Man five thousand and wow, you know just a lot just a lot of different there's a lot of different groups that that hip hop groups wasn't like we were doing a lot of Palooza and I want to say at that time we was doing a lot of Palooza it wasn't really I think Beast like Beasties was doing it one year and so it wasn't like a lot of hip hop acts doing those type of like it was just getting into that era where hip hop was kind of doing these rock shows and. You know, we go out with corn and we go out with like all of these different groups that necessarily wasn't a hip hop act. How did y'all feel about that? I mean, in one way, it was like I got it why people did it, because, you know, we were kind of into the skateboard thing. We kind of was doing different stuff like it wasn't that. But at the, at the same time, 
like we were being shopped to to I guess what what people would want to say the urban market like you know we would go to like Howard Homecoming and, and do stuff like that mm-hmm. but that was we really didn't get into that until like I would say Lab Cabin but like the first album was definitely way more alternative driven and my thoughts was was like I just wish we could have did both I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't understand why we were, it seemed like we were just kind of like put in one way. Like, like we wasn't put in the category of, of urban. And that kind of hurt, that kind of hurt us in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense because later down the line, you know, like BT basically was like, oh, we don't, our music is not black enough. You know? Which you was know, weird because it's like, okay, like you said, our music isn't black enough, but then like you play in sync. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it was, it was right. yeah. You know, so it, but, but I got it where, where people, because I think that people thought that we were trying to push in that direction. Like, like mm-hmm. we were really trying to go in that skater lane and, and that, but that's just, that's just where we were being pushed, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what was interesting was was back in that time, it was almost like hip hop, especially hip hop that wasn't getting played on the radio. Hip hop was in kind of an identity crisis. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like now where it's a free for all and you put up your music and whoever gravitates to it just gravitates to it. You know what I mean? And there were very few slots, you know, for you to go. And I remember that era when when the when the far side was out on tour with all these rock bands you know and for a lot of us watching we were like wow that is incredible you know the fact that there was that kind of crossover but what you're saying was maybe or or are you saying that maybe spiritually the connection wasn't there to those kinds of tours you know like you you wish that there was I, I, yeah I, I, not not necessarily spiritually i just i just wish that i think that i mean first of all i have to look and say delicious vinyl which at that time they were dealing with tone low dealing with young mcs so so the so the audience that delicious vinyl was used to was mm-hmm. a white college crowd like mm-hmm. that that was that was where they fi- where they found out that their records would cross over from from one to the next. Like, it wasn't the urban market that was blowing up these artists. That was Delicious Vinyl's bread and butter. That crowd was their bread and butter. Yeah, for sure. So Delicious Vinyl felt like, hey, these guys are a little bit more edgier, I guess. I guess that's the way people looked at it. So we could we could kind of slide in more of a rock vein where you could go out with the corns and the Nirvanas at that time and... and you know, like I said, the Power Man 5000s and, and just, you know, like... Y'all went out with Nirvana? Well, the year the year we were supposed to do the the Lollapalooza was the year that, that Kurt died. I want to say, I can't remember who, who picked up the hint of uh, Lollapalooza that year. But yeah, like that, we were like, oh shit, like that was like, that was like the big shit. Like, like man, this is going to be crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, that was a really, I mean, you're talking about the early 90s, which was like, not only was was it a big time for y'all, I mean, it was a big time for grunge. It was a big time for rock. And the fact that you guys were able to tap into that, I just remember, you know, I think I probably put out my first record or something like that. And I just, I just remember sitting there like, 
these guys fucking made it. That's incredible that they're able to do that. You know what I mean? Like I said, I mean, that kind of crossover, that, that was sort of what everybody aimed for and hoped for at that time, you know? But I do remember having conversations with people, like feeling conflicted about it, you know? But one of the things that, that uh, I remember talking to Charlie Tuna about, because obviously Jurassic 5, that was also their bread and butter also, you know what I mean? And one of the things Tuna told me, and I brought this up before, and I, you know, I, I refer to it a lot, he's like, you know what, you don't choose your fans, your, your fans choose you. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of truth to that. Do, do, do you feel like that was something that you guys experienced? Was it something that you, you tried to push for in a different way? I, I agree with what Charlie's saying. Like, your, your people choose you. I, I, I came to that. But then at, this, yeah. at, this, at the same time, I think that because what we were doing, there, there was no pre-designed template of Yes. Of like, hey, this is this is what you do with this type of group. Yes. So yes. More like they were playing it by ear of, of, of what they felt that fit. So being that that was the case, I think investment wise, they had to choose. You couldn't have both. Like we wasn't working with like that large budget where it's like, OK, we're just going to blanket the whole industry with these guys and see what goes on. It was like, right. okay, we got to choose a lane to see where they're going to fit. And because, I guess, because the rock lane or that alternative lane, what they say, kind of picked up on us and kind of embraced us, I think that it was like, hey, let's just, we'll just keep them in that lane. Mm -hmm. Were there discussions with the label like, hey, you know, we'd like to try other things. We'd like to see if we fit in other places. Can we try that? I mean, did you guys have conversations with the label at that time about that? Um, we did, but we were working with William Morris. It was, it was more powers that were behind this, the situation. So now you got William Morris, you got all these people saying, Hey, this is what's working for them. And why, why are we going to change what's working i guess that's how they felt you know like why change the will and so mm. we wasn't saying change the will we were just saying hey like add on you know if you uh let's have it that we can drive in snow and on the street you know what i'm saying right like, okay like, let's, yeah let's make it so that we can do everything at the same time and that was the focus like hey like we know this lane we know this this college lane we know that it's going to crack we wind up doing what we did. So I guess in, in some in some sense, they kind of were right. But it was just weird to have black people not really be into us and be black. That was just mm. weird. I mean, looking back into it, I say I think the same way. I think like living color, like you have all these black rock bands and everybody who felt the same yes. way. Like why does why don't people embrace us? Like why why aren't our own people embracing us? I think especially at that time in hip hop history, your options were kind of limited. You know what I mean? It was a lot of it, like you said, was kind of dictated by the machine. You know, it was, well, this is what the label said. Why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, this is what the, the agents want to do. It's obviously working. Why should we change this? You, you know, 
it's just it was a different world back then it was like there were very defined slots you know and you sort of had to not conform musically but once you put that album out i mean you know the options were kind of narrow you know in terms of like how you were going to promote yourself or whatever you know i definitely felt that from lab cabin you know i definitely felt like listening to that album there was some kind of like shift clearly musically there was a shift because you know at that now you're now you're working with dilla dilla's the producer right jay swift is not there anymore so musically it was a shift but i i felt like the innocence some of the innocence had kind of been lost even in the videos you know what i mean some of the innocence had been lost as as a fan i picked up on that i mean would you say that that's accurate for, for sure. It was it, for sure. It was dead like that. And at the same time, the reason why we had called it uh, California, because a lot of people thought we were East Coast rappers. So mm. we want people to know that, like, no, we're from California. And our first video, you know, that's why we had a reversal of the of the slave trade. Like, well, well I'll say yeah. slave masters. I think for me, what really got weird having songs like I'm that type of nigga and then like you just really see like a white kid saying that's my favorite song and then it's like uh, <laughs> what did I do like you know what I'm saying it was it, it like it was like uh. you see who's at the shows and you see who's chanting like, uh, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this is 100% right you know there's a lot to unpack there you know because artistically I, I remember that video I remember the video where like the white women were doing their hair, doing the ladies' hair, you know, and it was that, is that right? And and it was just, it was like this role, right. like this historical role reversal. And I was on tour at that time with J. Rue the Damager and on my first U.S. tour when that album came out and, and headquarters, rest in peace, was doing merchandise for J. Rue. And he was like, hardcore New York dudes, hardcore underground New York dudes that I would probably not peg as being far side fans. You know what I mean? I would probably not peg them as being far side fans. And I remember headquarters telling me, yo, I like that. I love that video, son. The reversal. I love that video. You know what I mean? And I just saw that started to shift the artistic direction started to although you guys always had i felt like socially conscious songs you know what i mean and material i felt like visually also the messaging started to shift was there some kind of was there like a shift of consciousness in the group from the first album to the second album in that way was it was it what was happening with the label was it what you were seeing in the audience at the shows i mean yeah like i said because we had did Lollapalooza, we had you know we were thrown into that alternative version of like what people thought and so just yeah. what we were seeing in the crowd and the songs we were having it was like hey like we don't know if this is right you know and mm. we were going to actually name our group the true jigaboos but we were told that wasn't correct <laughs> like that's not politically correct to name yourself <laughs> true like that's not going to fit so good you know what i'm saying yeah but yeah. the whole I the whole idea behind it was that we felt that we're music we're we're musicians it's the shucking and jiving type thing basically what i could say is like like really going out there doing real work 
out and out on the field. Like you're not a, the Black Panther that's going out there doing it. And so we felt like you're out here jigger booing. Like you're not out here putting in real saying you're not out here doing what was to to save the people. So that that always was in our minds, I would say, from 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 gate. And so after the first album came out, it was like like damn, look 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 where we at. Like this is not this is not necessarily what what we kind of was trying to have people perceive us as. So it was like right. we gotta come back. At that time, like I'm a fan of Brand Nubian, I'm a fan of X Clan. I'm like yeah. I can't say pro like I'm that I'm that I'm li- what I was listening to at that time you're hearing people say devil a whole lot. <laughs> right. Like that, was, that was the word that you heard. That was the word that you heard a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the music that I was listening to. So Yeah. Or, or what you're listening to and how you're being perceived is feels like exactly. two different things. Yeah. It's a complicated existence. You know what I'm saying? Especially at that time, you know, when you when you feel a certain way, but you maybe you don't feel like you're being perceived in that same way. You know what I mean? It's just I I believe I have some idea what you're talking about. Also, again, in that era, there was like this awakening in hip hop. Artists were very publicly talking about the problems that they were that they were having with their record labels. One of the things that I thought about in between the last conversation and this conversation is, you know, hip hop's really the only music that is educational in a sense where, like, the artists will talk very freely about the labels on the records that those labels are putting out. You know what I mean? You know, like you would hear De La Soul talking about Tommy Boy. You would hear, you know, Tribe was talking about the issues that they would have, you know? I don't remember if the far side talked about it specifically, but I do remember you saying certain things in interviews and at shows, you know, and implying that you were having difficulty with the label at that time, with Delicious Vinyl at that time. What was that like? Delicious Vinyl wanted, you know what I'm saying? Like they wanted us to kind of stay in that, in that lane. This is what people love. Like you have to, you have to expand and, and keep in the, in that, in that range. Which I understand, because I, I I feel like if I look at Beastie Boys, like Beastie Boys kind of stayed and, and improved on that lane. But us, or how I felt, I was like, because of the music we listened to and how we were perceived, it was almost like, man, we gotta we gotta kind of clean this slate. But for us, it was a creativity thing. Like, or I I would say for me, I don't want to argue yeah. about trying to make a record like it's 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 tiring trying to get your creativity to be the forefront dilla wasn't really well perceived at that time a lot of well-known producers which that's what we wanted we wanted that like we we really wanted to go out and work with those kind of guys but it just wasn't right and not and that and that's not saying anything to to the producers that was giving us the music, shit, I can never take anything away from Pete Rock, who gave us tracks and was like, hey, like, you know, this is yeah. this is some stuff. I can't, I can, I can never take that away. It just wasn't, it just wasn't fitting for the time of what we were trying. Well, you know, that is so crazy to me because I understand, you know what I mean? You're like, okay, we want to work with New York producers. So you the group goes to New York, you get beats from Pete Rock, Premier. Large Professor, 
Diamond D. This is what you came to New York for. They're all shooting you beats. This is why you got there. And then you get there, they give you the beats, and you're like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I guess it kind of was like that. But it was it was more or less like when you're in New York, I remember just getting off the plane, and I think, like, Redman had a song. Probably was Redman. And the way New York does, like, if, if that song is cracking, they'll play it five times in a row. And so you're like, shit, right. like, yeah. like, like, you really feel, you really feel the impact of that song. You know, like, they'd be like, rewind. And then you're like, in your car going crazy because they playing it back again. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. that, that, we didn't have that in West Coast. Like, so when you just hear that beat, that, that beat back just, just in your face like that, mm. shit, man, we want, we want our shit to be playing out here. And somebody want to just play my shit or play our shit five times in a row. The, melodicness of the tracks that we felt that we're getting we didn't feel that that was going to get that type of appeal we felt like it was all right with headphone music like you know what i'm saying like mm. you put your headphones on mm-hmm. and you listen through the whole album through you jump on your skateboard and you just listen like it's, it's a vibe type thing but yes we were dancing i want some club mm-hmm. shit like we want some shit that's gonna be in the club right. we want we want yes. that type of vibe that's really interesting. Yes, because especially at that time, early 90s, mid 90s, New York hip hop had a certain energy to it, you know, that, it, that when, when you look at Bizarre Ride, it was a really musical album. You know what I mean? It just had all these full samples and loops and layers. And it was just a different kind of vibe. I mean, you know, to me, there was parallels to like tribe or you you know but it was so musical and then what you guys were doing vocally was so musical and and melodic i could see why a you would want as a departure like that new york energy that hard new york energy but then i could also see why the producers will be would be like okay well the only reference that we have for you guys is bizarre ride to the far side you know what i mean so we're gonna give you all these kinds of tracks you know these more melodic kind of jazzy tracks you know what i mean but that's not where that's not where y'all wanted to go you know that that wasn't where y'all wanted to go so do you feel like you found like a, a happy medium with Dilla? It wasn't necessarily have a medium. It was just new. It was just, it was like, what is this? It still had the melodic appeal because Dilla could still come melodic, but then it still was boom bap in a way, I guess. We were more or less like, yo, and nobody coming with this. Like, like, so regardless of whatever the situation is, we could be the first on this new type of sound or what we felt was a new type of sound. Do, do you feel like when all four of you listened to that Dilla beat tape, did all four of y'all react the same way to it? Was anybody on the fence like, I don't know if I'm feeling this shit? Or was everybody like ecstatic, like, whoa, this is it. It's got to be this dude. Fallon wasn't really, wasn't really on it. Mm-hmm. He, 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 he really... Like I said, like his style is more brash, so he really was on like, nah. He's like, 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 like. He's like, man, listen to these kicks, man. Like, listen to these drum patterns. Like, he's like, man, that's not, that's not, 
that's not gonna rock, man, because he just he was with like he's bomb squad. He was he was mob deep, you know, Wu Tang. Like he's yes. like that's yes. that's lips, that's lips bang. So him listening to mm. Dilla's tracks wasn't like he's like, yo, that's that's not the shit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm -hmm. everybody had their thing. Me, Trey, and Imani, we had the same instinct of like like yo this is this is the difference so so the three y'all were feeling dilla instantly but fat lip wasn't sold he was like okay this is not it you know it's not as much yeah D but did he come around i mean obviously you made the album you know with, with dilla so did he come around or what was what's the process like for y'all because you know we talk about a lot about this with mobile homies and i want to talk about this specifically with the far side about the far side group dynamics you know what I mean? Like, how do y'all negotiate, you know, or navigate that whole the decision making process? At that time, because it was four of us and the way that we did our songs, we felt like we packed the pipe. We realized very few songs where all four of us was on, like, pack the pipe and pass me by. And then we started realizing that at the most, a radio is going to play two minutes of the song. Mm -hmm. So that was already in our minds. Like, so then we started realizing, like, hey, it, it's, it'd be cool if, if, like, two people are on one song, one person's on one song, three people on one song. But, like, mm -hmm. the, the songs that we were doing with four people, we, all, we, we did that for more or less a vibe type sake because we knew that that wasn't going to necessarily play on the, on the, on the radio. Mm -hmm. So having that, those intentions, we realized at the same time that, you know, if Trey wants something totally, completely melodic, singing type stuff, that he could do that. Or if mm -hmm. Imani and Trey want to get the song, or Imani wants to do certain things, like, we realized, like, that's what that person was into. So I would say, like, pretty much me and Imani were on the fence between Trey and Lip. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I always felt that way about y'all, too, also. You were kind of the glue. The two of you were kind of the glue within the four you know what i mean it just seemed to me that uh, but again you know you're dealing with a group that had very distinct charismatic personalities artistically you know and, I, and to me that was and for i know for a lot of people that was the beauty of the far side you know what i mean is everybody had their own distinct personalities you know within the group you know we all know now that if you're a far side fan the group went through changes you know what I mean? If you go see the far side now, it's two people. You know what I'm saying? So at, at some point, did a rift start to occur, like it, in the album making process? I mean, was it was it a, in the creative process? I mean, was this in the lab cabin era? I mean, was it a business thing? I mean, where did where so, did you start to see these these kinds of the cracks? So, okay, so like I was saying, Imani is closer to Trey. I, I guess you would say I'm, I'm probably closer to, to, to Fatlet. He's just that dude. Like, he's just, if anybody knows Fatlet, Fatlet's Fatlet. So he, he, didn't want, he, didn't, he didn't want to go out on tour, and he felt like, like man, I just want to record. I just want to record. Together, he's like, man, like, you can't just go out and record. Like, like you have to support the album. Mm -hmm. But 
I think his understanding of what it was was different because, like I said, like his whole thing was like, I'm not going to do my verse within six months. Like, you know, like I'll take six months to. And so, yeah, everybody, everybody can't do that. Like everybody can do that. So it's like mm -hmm. some people have to go out there and, and start it, start it up. And then for you, we felt that he could acknowledge that everybody can't have the same process that he had so the conflict kind of betrayed feeling like like hey we're doing a little bit more of the work as far as doing the touring and, and this kind of stuff and lip is not necessarily wanting to participate in those type of things so that's kind of why, why i say the rip kind of came into it because we went out on tour and Lip was like, yo, I'm not, I don't want, I think it was like the second line of Palooza. And Lip was like, I don't want to go. I just want to stay back and I want to, you know, I want to stay in the studio. I want to work. So he's like, cool. Like, like, man, when we come back, that'd be cool. If you, if you work in, we'll come back, we'll jump in the studio and then we'll get to recording. But when we came back, Lip, he really wasn't working. He was just kind of living life. And so, and so, the conflict came with Lip feeling like, hey, I'm still part of the group. Where's the tour money at? You know, where was the, where, you know, what's going on? And then Trey was like, yo, he can't keep staying here and we're going out and he's, he's getting the same. Was this in the lab cabin? Was this from album one that this stuff started to happen or was this in the lab cabin era? This is from, from one to two. This is from okay. album one to lab cabin where it so that started being different. So, so that that rift, the seeds of that kind of existed from 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 the very first album. It sounds like, and it became more complicated as from album album after album after album. Okay, so yeah, because like I said, we talk about group dynamics a, a lot on Mobile Homies, and it's right. difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult yeah. managing. It's difficult e even with people who are the absolute best of friends it is difficult managing the personalities the goals the egos the schedules the this the that you know what i mean right and it's just i think it's hard for a lot of people to to understand when they have a certain idea of their favorite group they have no idea what goes on between the four guys themselves you know what i mean to make it better i think that I think the word when people say, oh, man, you got to do hip hop out of love, like like and, and I think I think I think that's where where things kind of get mixed up because it's like, OK, I love what I'm doing and I love hip hop. Like I like mm -hmm. there's no doubt about it that I, I wouldn't got this far without loving the right. situation. Yes. But at that time where we were going through, like I said, like we were being pushed as alternative. We really wasn't on the getting that urban type love, I guess what people were saying. So it was just our minds were just so kind of like, kind of messed with where we felt that does hip hop kind of love us back? You know what I'm saying? And when you, and when you, wow. feel you, when you feel like if hip hop is not loving you back, like, Hey, this is a business and I need to make my money. Like I need, I need, I need to at least be living where it's comfortable for me because I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure if this love me back. Well, I mean, let's talk about that also for a second, man, because 
but let's talk about some of our friends, you know, Souls of Mischief, Jurassic Five. You know, these are big fucking groups. You know what I mean? The money's got to be split a lot of ways, you know, and it's a very difficult situ and different situation for me as Lyrics Born to go out as a solo artist than for me to go out with Quantum or Black Alicious or whatever. We got to split all the money five, ten different ways, you know what I mean? And it's not it's not easy, you know what I mean? And so when you get into situations like that, you you know, it's hard to explain to people that, yeah, I love what I'm doing. And yes, maybe you feel like I should be doing it for the love, but there's real life considerations here, man, you know, that, that, that we have, that, that have to be dealt with, you know? And it, and it sounds like in Fatlift's case, you know, as time went on, he didn't want to tour. Is that it? it? Did it ever get to the point where he just did not want to tour period? Because you guys, yeah, he just, he, 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 it just, it, it, like, like it just wasn't, it just wasn't his bag. Like, you know, that wasn't something that he had, that he felt that he wanted to do, which I mean, you know, it's understandable. Like everybody's going to have what is most comfortable to you, but we felt like we all have to compromise. Like, like that, that's the, I think that's the most, the, when you're in the group, that's the most important thing ever is like, like when to compromise and when not to compromise. Yes. And most time you're yes. going to have to compromise when you don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's not yeah. going your way. And then you just, I'm rolling with these guys. And so I, I just kind of have to let that go. But that look was very strong in where his beliefs were, you know, and that's, okay. that just was the case. So, so did that cause problems between the three of y'all, between you, Trey, and Imani at that point, with, with with Fat Lip not coming on the road, with Fat, and then you get back and you're like, he says he's working, and you get back, and it wasn't what you thought it was going to be when you get back. I mean, did, did were, were the three of y'all looking at each other after that, be like, the hell's going on? Here? You know what I mean? Or was that did that create yeah, a situation mean, for y'all? I would say that it was more. Or a rift between Trey and Fatlip because of their style of music or they or or the style of how they interpreted the music. I think that has something to do with it. Just in their styles, it was different. And Trey just got to a point was like, I, I I'm just mm. not feeling working with this guy. It's just it's just too difficult for me to do to do me. You know, like it, it just came on any, so, on any level. On any level, exactly. said that. I just can't. Okay, yeah. W was Trey feeling this way during Lab Cabin, or was this post Lab Cabin? Because it seemed like in Lab Cabin, shit really started to get stirred up, man. You know, I mean, um, you know, like I said, artistically, and you know, it, w was this like group dynamics wise? It started to get. Was was the tension there also during Lab Cabin, or was this post Lab Cabin that Trey is feeling this way? Valip is saying, "I'm not going." No, this is this is pre Lab. This is pre, oh, wow. this is pre okay. Lab Cabin going into Lab Cabin because, mm. um, like I said, we had we had two years of where we were going out on the road and we were doing the shows, and Lip Lip didn't necessarily want to tour like that. So, mm -hmm. hey, do what you need to do. We'll come back. We can divide the duties of the of the group dynamics of what's supposed to be. Like, hey, you, you be that guy. We'll go out here. We'll, we'll you know, support whatever. But then mm -hmm. the rift kind of came where 
little that, hey, I still should be getting equal to what you guys are, are kind of getting out there on the road. <laughs> Trey was just like, no, that doesn't that doesn't work. And you, it doesn't work like that. What? Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Fat Lip wanted his share of the tour money, but he wasn't going on tour. Correct. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> so, so when it, so at first it was fine. Like at first we wasn't really, it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't like, wasn't a big thing to us, but it just became constant. It became ongoing that this was the situation we're dealing with. And so yeah. when it became constant and then we came back from the road because we were coming back like, Hey, where's the songs? Like, like what's, what's going on and then we come back and nothing was being done it's like hey you're not you're not keeping up your part of the bargain so we felt like okay look like you can still not go on the road but we got to make adjustments to how the the pay is going to be as far as if we're going on the road and you're staying home like we we agree that you're gonna but that's what kind of the riff and fat lip was like I'm part of this, blah, blah, blah. So the tension starts building. Like the that's the a snowball starting to build up. Mm. Okay. Did you feel like he was being unreasonable at that point? In some way, of, of course, yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't a deal breaker to me. It wasn't no. it was it was it, it was it wasn't like it wasn't like, dude, we need to get rid of this dude. Like like right. I, I wasn't I wasn't worried about it like that like my mind wasn't on it so then we go into the lab cabin phase so then so then it was just more of him being more disgruntled right. as far as the, the um not really being compensated because now they're not giving me the, the amount of money so yeah the the divide started happening more like like damn i can't get this yeah well i mean it, I it sounds like you started having disagreements on with a, a group member on pretty much every level that you could possibly have a disagreement with a group member. You know what I mean? You're having disagreements financially. You're having disagreements participation wise. You know, I mean, if a group, if you're a touring group and a group member is not going to go on tour, well, yeah, I mean, I would think that that would be an issue. You know what I mean? And then, then you start to have disagreements creatively because the producer that you enlisted there's issues there. So, I mean, after that, it's kind of like, where do you go? You know what I mean? I, I could see why that would be difficult and why that would be an issue, you know? So how does that play out through Lab Cabin? Because I know for us as fans, Lab Cabin was a fucking masterpiece. You know what I mean? Drop, running, you know, I mean, just so many big songs, so many. It's, I mean, it's a classic. It's very different than Bizarre Ride, but it's a fucking classic. You know what I mean? But at you the time, but at the time, at the time, but at the time, people were looking at Lab Cabin like it was failure. Who who was looking at it like that? The label? I think over the years, like when when Dylan started getting more work and his work started coming yeah. up, like a lot of people yeah. started. It, it the perception of Dillo, Jay Dillo, it was different. You know what I'm saying? But at, yes. at first, yeah, people felt like 
like, oh man, this is this is not this is not bizarre, right? Like, mm. like we were in battle to try to tell people, like, no, this is not a fall off. It's just different. That mm. was the constant yeah. battle. Like, no, no, it's not a fall off. Something completely different. And, and what was the label's response as this album comes out, and you start to see the sales coming back, and the and just sort of the 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 the, the fan response, and I mean, how, how did did the relationship change with the label once that album started to cycle? We don't know where this is going to go. It wasn't perceived well by the by the label. It, it wasn't like this is going to be something that's going to come out the blocks. I felt like the the label. It was just an argument every time trying to do stuff. Like, it was just like, mm. man, why is it so difficult to just put out music? And did th- did that difficulty continue throughout the life of Lab Cab in California with them? Like, was it a constant struggle with them throughout the life of the, of the album? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. Okay. For sure. So this is you hear about in the arc of a group, you know, a lot. And um, you're in your, very successful first album, right? You go into your second album, there's difficulties within the group, you know, with Lip. There's difficulties in, in, in the way that the album is being perceived by fans from, from what you're saying, you know. There's difficulty with the label. Those are some tough problems to have. When you're a when you're a working band, those are some tough problems to have. How did you guys navigate all this ultimately? I think well, you just in it. At that point, you realize that you're in it. You just gotta you gotta kind of move forward with what you got. And so um, it was so many things that like questions that we had, like we didn't know, and then nobody would want to give us answers. Well how is this doing or how's that doing? And then that's what we start to realize, like, hey, we're messing with the indie label. Like, regardless of what we think about the industry, like, or, or you know, Delicious Vinyl is an indie label, and they were bouncing from East, West, time to Universal or just Columbia. It was like so many, like, they were out getting the money where they could get it. And we didn't understand that them bouncing around through these different majors was actually harming us because right. what happens is every time uh, every time they bounce to a major, that major kind of has to come up with a plan and adjust and, and do all these things. And, and you know, while you, you're trying to adjust while your album is out, is the fucking worst time that you could try to do this. Oh. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh. like, like you don't, you don't, you don't adjust because all those kind of things take three months, four months of planning to to get right. So, like, all this adjustment is trying to be done, and it, it's killing us. It's, it's killing us. That well, I was I was gonna ask that. Like, how does all this instability and uncertainty affect the inner workings of the group? You know, art emotionally, artistically, you know, I mean, how, how does it affect the dynamics of the four of you at that time? Well, this is like during lab play, during the tail and the tail end. So I, I would say that really business wise, and, and, and I'm only saying that retrospect to now that I can see that like it took yeah. years for me to understand that that was a problem. But during, but during the time I wasn't really, I didn't, I didn't understand how that could affect. We're not like I'm not like 
somewhat novice of what the record industry is and like oh these things affect you because there's a there's a there's timing in their schedules and if you want this to be going to the record to to this radio you got to do this our concept of that necessarily wasn't there and i think now when you look at at um uh, certain people that do good is because their managers are somewhat savvy to what the record industry is you know what i'm saying and our we didn't have a manager like that. Our manager was like our homeboy. Like, you know, it was somebody that we trusted. It was like, we trust him personally, not trust, not, yeah. not necessarily on a business looking at this person need to know these specific things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, so where does that leave you after the lab cabin cycle was over? You know, it's, you know, for most groups, ideally you would be like, okay, let's get to work on our third. You know what I mean? Like, where does that leave you? Because you have all these issues now. You have all these problems now. So the end of Lab Cabin, the rip between Trey and Fatlip was very just like, you know, I, we, can't, we can't work together. So Trey was like, either I'm going to leave or Lip's got to go. So, so it, 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 got to, it got to that point. It's like it's either him or me. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so where me and Imani kind of weighed it out was like, well, Trey goes out on tour. Trey is, is much more willing to compromise than how can we work with somebody that's not going to compromise. So Imani and Lip, Imani and Trey was already homies. I was yeah. the only one kind of on the fence. Like, like when mm-hmm. it came down to the situation, I was just like, man, do we really have to get Lip out of the group? But then... Yeah. After I weighed it out, I was like, "Yeah, we it's it's not gonna it's just not gonna work. It's it's, it's just not gonna happen." Right. Okay. So then that leaves the three of y'all, right? So so now so now the far side officially is Trey, Imani, Booty Brown. I think I saw y'all in that era. We actually opened for y'all at UCLA. We did a gig at that time. I think M Walk was DJing at the time. You know, for sure. And it was the three of y'all, you know? And I'd seen y'all before when it was only the three of y'all. But I, I, now I know why. It was because Fat Lip wanted to stay home. Because we were going out on tour as three, it actually didn't make it that difficult for us mm. to go ahead as the three. So it was like, hey, shit, we've been doing this for, for a period already. Like, like it's not that difficult right. to just, to just right. roll with three. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's interesting because hip hop was so young at that time. Like, it's hard for people to imagine now, but that's, you know, that's almost 20 years ago now. And hip hop was so young. We didn't really have a strong concept. I didn't feel like of the, the possibility that, oh, shit, groups can lose members. Oh, shit, can change. Groups can break up. Like, you don't really have that kind of concept, you know, like you do with other forms and yeah. genres of music, you know, where that's pretty common. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Rock, rock people, they, they just replace people instantly. Like, like, yes. like, like Sammy Hagar. <laughs> like, I was like, what the fuck is Sammy Hagar? Like, what is going on? Was that ever a consideration? Like, okay, we need to add a fourth member? No. Fourth member? No, no. no. It, 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 that, that never was the case. That never was the case okay. because we, we knew that, like, it wasn't about tricking the people. It wasn't about, like, oh, we're just going to grab somebody and trick the people to make them think, like, hey, this is whatever. It was yeah. more or less like, 
hey, this this is this is where we're at now, and we just gotta rock with the three. Like this is just it's just a new dynamic for us. Okay, but you guys were also a, a a group that was known for touring. I mean, was there ever situations where promoters were like, well, shit, we're not going to pay y'all the same anymore because it's just three of y'all now. Fat Lip's not in the group anymore. It's not, you know, was that, oh, that an definitely, issue? That definitely, definitely, every, everything was affected by that move. Like, mm. you know, you're not going to get the, you, you're not going to even get the same billing. Like, mm. you know, you got, you got Fat Lip fans. Like, I mean, people looked at him as, the Buster Rhymes of, of, of right. you know, kind of, you know what I'm saying? So I, I'm not going to sit here and say that that wasn't how people saw the situation. It definitely affected us in, in a way. But to make it easier, to make it comfortable, we felt that that was just the move that we needed to do at the time. Now that you described to me what the situation was, it, it seems hard to move forward with those factors. I mean, it, it kind of seemed, put it this way, I understand. Y'all made that decision, and I, I think I understand, you know, because you were, again, you were having disagreements on every level, you know, and it's kind of hard to move forward when, when you're having that kind of difficulty, you know what I mean? So going into the third album, the fourth album, label situations are changing. Obviously, one of the group members is not there. How do you approach those albums now? Like, I, I have, you know, in my research, you know, I have, like, you know, testing the waters, you know, playing rap like these records, you know, uh, right. you're, you're in a different era. You're in a different era now as a band, you know. OK, we're we're in the early 2000s. So yes. Buster Rhymes had 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 uh, had kind of the clock down and everybody was looking like, oh, shit, the world is going to we're not going to have a world. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole like everything was, was, yeah. was going crazy. So, Extinction level um, event. Exactly. 2000. You know what I'm saying? We, everybody was looking at that clock like, oh shit, everything yeah. is going to, like, it's going to be complete darkness. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just a lot of things going on. Trey felt like, okay, Lip is gone, but at the same time, we need, we need a house cleaning of like a lot of different stuff, like our managers our attorneys, our booking, uh, bookkeepers, just all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Trey was like, man, we got a clean house and we just need to just get on a whole new phase. So during that process, I, we got rid of our manager, which is kind of the homie, because like I said, like we were trying to pay more attention to the business and it was like, okay, you know what? We, we've done brand thing. Like that's not necessarily working for us and we gotta we gotta we gotta be businessmen now so we started shedding a lot of different people that was around us at that time well you know it was interesting i, I think i told you this in the last conversation you, you know I, I remember talking to trey backstage one time at a gig years later you know years later a, after you know you guys had went through all your changes and everything and right and i said what was that like at that time you know what was that like in the early 90s and he was like i don't even remember you know what I'm, I think I told you this, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, you said it. You know what I'm saying? And it, and it just, you, you know, and it's like we talked about, it's like Bizarre Ride to the Far Side was not just a fucking album. It was a lifestyle, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it was the weed era and hip-hop, and, you know, y'all were definitely, like, in it, 
you know, and I just remember being around y'all. I mean, like for Trey to say, I don't remember entire years is what he told me. I don't remember entire years of our career. How much of that affected your understanding and your comprehension of what was going on around you at that time? You know, because now you're talking about your cleaning house, you know, but in that at that time, you know, the climate of hip hop was very like, you know, right. how much of that, how much of that of that era clouded your judgment or maybe there wasn't the attention being paid to it in the same way or the or you guys just weren't you're only 21 years old at that time too you know what i mean so how much did all those factors kind of play into it to the point where later on you felt like oh god i gotta pay start paying more attention to this shit you know what i mean well at that time between between the first album second album both many money had kids so mm. our attention was definitely different Lyft yeah. didn't have a kid Trey didn't have a kid mm. and of course Drugs, hip hop, rock and roll, whatever you want to call it, was playing was playing into the fact. Financials was playing into it, and you having all groups. If there's, if you have over three or four members of a group, the industry kind of separates people from saying this person is doper than that person. This person yes. is doper than that. So destructive. So, that is so destructive. And I say that to say that. Okay, lips out the group. Now you have Trey, which people felt Trey was the other member that was a hierarchy of the group. Like like his yeah. talent wise is is at this level. Yes. So Trey is recording with like Brian Austin Green. He's doing a lot more solo stuff. He's doing yeah. stuff with like Corn. He's doing stuff. So Meanie Money is kind of trying to hold stuff down on a certain level and trying to reach out to Trey, like, hey, man, what's going on? What's going on? And Trey's more or less, you know, he's preparing himself for his, his solo venture in some type of way. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he was already in that phase of like, hey, I'm Trey. I'm Slim Kid Trey, and, you know, I'm, I'm this kind of, you know, and I, and I think that, people were pumping, pumping him up to be that type of uh, person. You know what I'm saying? Was that also a discussion that the three of you were having between each other? Like Trey is like, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to start. Was that, was that, was there clarity there? Like, was we had, we, we definitely had the discussion because it wasn't nothing like, like there wasn't any type of jealousy or anything like, Hey, like you can't do that. It was more or less like, Hey, you know, if you're still gonna do this this group, you gotta kind of you gotta kind of double work it. Like you can't like you know if you wanna if you wanna be part of the situation, you want that. Okay, you still gotta. We're not saying check in with us, but but just show us that that you're still down. Kind of like like make sure that you're around because we're all trying to do this. Like it shouldn't it shouldn't be on two guys' backs that all this. Like we're we're still a group. Like like man, come mm -hmm. like come and. Make sure that you, you, you know, just, just check in with us. You know what I'm saying? And it was more or less like we, I won't say we, but I, I can say that I felt that like we were having to try to kind of like chase Trey down and say, and try to like, Hey, what are you doing? Like, like we're trying to do this. And Trey was like, Oh man, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm out doing this. And then he'll be cool for a second. Like, like we all sync up for like the month or two months. And then we would go right back out of sync because 
he was doing something or he was trying to do that. So did you feel like at that moment then you guys were drifting apart? The three of y'all were starting to drift apart. Did, did it did it feel like it was it was going down a path where similarly in the same way you felt about fat lip, did, did were those seeds starting to be planted where like, you know, I don't know where this is gonna end up in the next near future with Trey, you know? No, I and, and that's the whole thing. Like really, I really didn't I, I felt like my thing was to always trying to keep it together in some type, in some sort of sense. Some kind yeah. of I guess some people would say twisted six sense, but I was like, okay, I mean, for people that lives in LA, it would be kind of hard to say. Let's say like, let's say if the studio was in Berkeley and Trey lived in in Oakland or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So Trey was just like, dude, it's difficult for me to drive out to Berkeley every time to try to do that. So my, my thing was like, fuck, like if it's that difficult, let's, we'll move the studio so you can so you can make sure you can be at the studio you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. like i felt that we were trying to like we were trying to make it that he could be able to do both well like i said i mean it's interesting for us to see a hip hop group go through that you know like all the things that you saw rock groups go through or like all R&B groups go through, you know, now we're at the age hip hop's at the age where you start to see that happen with hip hop groups, you know, with y'all, you know, and right. I think I had an idea already because I was friends with Charlie and, and leaders leaders was kind of going through the same thing. They were like, right. Buster Rhymes is kind of like doing his own thing and he's kind of drifting, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it was under the same, uh, pretense of, of what of what it was for us yeah. but you know he started he started kind of drifting away so like yeah i could kind of see that hey this doesn't just it's not just us like it's just happening to this is kind of like what goes on in the industry yeah. like there's a separation that that, that starts happening I think it also tends to be like you just said it tends to be more common in groups with the more members that there are you know, the more challenges there are in keeping it together, you know, and keeping it smooth. So at what point does it come to a head with Trey? So we have, we have like our first source article that we were like excited, like, oh shit, we finally in the source, you know, source, this is a source magazine. So we finally do our first article in the source and when we get to the end of the when we get to the end of the whole article, it says, Oh yeah, Trey has recently called us and told us that he's no longer in the far side. And that's how we found out that Trey was that he had kind of quit the group. The the source said that he called the source to inform the source that he was no okay. All right. And that was that was that was the way we found out. That was, mm-hmm. that was the way that we found out that that he wasn't he wasn't in the group anymore. It wasn't like he called us and told us. And did you have a conversation with him after that? After that, it just became strictly kind of like a legal kind of crazy rip thing where Inwalk was our Inwalk was our DJ at the time, and he wind up you know Trey was like. Hey, part of that equipment that you got is is part of my equipment. I I need to get I need to get part of that equipment, part of the studio equipment. Okay, so it it, it got to that point, basically. 
Yeah. So you find out that Trey is no longer in the group from the source, the maggots from Source Magazine. You guys didn't, there was no conversation with Trey after that. Like, hey, man, uh, I just ran some shit in the source that you're no longer in the group anymore. You know, what's going on? That that was, there was never a conversation like that with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After we read, after we read the article, that's, yeah, we called him, was like, hey, what's up with this? Like, like, what's, like, what's going on? Like, you know what I'm saying? And he was just like, man, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm not really feeling this vibe, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Now, some part of that was Forrest Whitaker basically was, Forrest Whitaker was starting a label Mm -hmm. called Spirit Dance. And we went to go, we went went to go meet with Forrest Whitaker and he was like oh man i love you guys blah 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 but for me i was looking at it like dude like he basically had some people that were kind of like interns at other labels and so when i when we went to the label i was like man this guy was an intern i don't know if this is going to be the best situation for us at the same time we had went up to mike ross and was like okay it's kind of let me Back it up just a little. So Trey, as as the as the management regime came into and changed, yeah, we realized what Wu Tang was doing was doing solo albums. So the the manager at the time was like, you know what? How you guys can hold out is that basically you guys just want to do all your your solo records. Like, don't we're just don't record. Like, just don't record with Delicious anyway. Like, you you guys can record solo records until there's something that works out for you as a whole. So we go to Mike Ross. We say, hey, Mike, like, man, what, our situation is not working out. Like, what is it? Can we, can we leave the label? Is it cool that we leave? Mike was like, dude, Fat Lip's gone. It's not really the same vibe. Sure, you guys could go. So we start shopping ourselves to try to find that, try to find another home. Forrest Whitaker comes. But Trey, Trey, is, Trey is still in the group at this point. Trey's Trey's still in the group. Yeah. But okay. his, but his, yeah. but, but Trey, Trey had brought the management in. So the person that was managed at the same time was a person that Trey had brought into, into the situation. So we go and we talk to Forrest and, yeah, Forrest is like, dude, I'll, I'll, like, man, guys, be over here. You know what I'm saying? So then there's a whole lot of money talked about. And Mike Ross basically says, hey, I'll let you guys go, but it's going to be $900,000 that you guys got to pay us to leave. Like, wow. I need, I need not. And so I was like, well, did we spend $900,000? Like, like, <laughs> like, where, like, where, where does this, where does this, where does this, where you get that, where you get that number from? Right. That's yeah. that's my question. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so my thing is like, okay, we're going to go and get all this money from Forrest to pay Delicious Vinyl. And if we're already having a financial situation, we're never going to see money because we're going to be we're going to be paying back for some shit like it's, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense. So my thing yeah. was let's get to the root of the problem to find out why delicious vinyl is charging this amount of money for us to go right. to this label. Yes. 
I can say that I definitely was a spokesperson in turning down the the Forrest, the Forrest Whitaker deal because, for one, like I said, that I didn't feel that the staff that he had kind of understood the music industry. Secondly, because where is this this mysterious $900,000 that we owe is going to go down? Right. So I was against it. I was like, dude, fuck it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And at this time, we were going to the studios. Uh, we was going to Skip Sailor Studio and DJ Quick. Quick was at, at, at uh, the studio called Skip Sailors at the time. The home studio became the shit. So the Yamaha had just released like the O2R, like right. it was a like, whole new board. Like, like, hey, yeah. you don't have to be at this studio and spend fifteen hundred dollars, three thousand dollars a day. Right. You can do this shit right at your house. And yes. I remember, I remember, like, quick, like, quick had a big ass argument with Skip about this. Like, like, dude, I'm not gonna be at the studio no more. I'm gonna be doing shit from my house. I'm just gonna be doing this whole new shit, like the home studio, the home studio. Yeah. So that vibe that you didn't need the studio was coming out and like that whole thing of like being independent. I had that on the back of my mind too. So yeah, I was like, dude, this deal doesn't make sense. And I think that Trey, he just, he just wasn't feeling that move. Like he had the manager at that time. Trey's manager was kind of like, he wanted to do films. He wanted to do movies. So it was, damn, I can't, I'm not going to be able to do these movies. I'm like, like there's never going to be a situation like this where like, we're talking to Forrest Whitaker. We're talking like, like where we're going to be able to go. is going to be so much bigger. But I was just looking at like, how are we ever going to come out the hole? Like, like, dude, we're going to be in such a hole. Like we're never going to be financially. Right. Right. So I think that was a lot of reasons why Trey was just like, dude, this is not, it's not suitable for me to just even fuck with this because I, you know, and so Trey wind up taking Trey and his manager wind up taking the deal. So the Forrest, Ford the Whitaker, Forrest Whitaker deal, the Forrest Whitaker deal. They they wind, the Trey wind up signing a deal solo with Forrest okay. Whitaker. Okay. 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 Uh huh. And, and wow. Okay. So how did that make y'all feel? I mean, we didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I, we, I didn't actually know anything about it until later down the line. Like, you know, like I said, Trey had called and was like, dude, I need part of this equipment. And when he when he basically took the equipment, he called Enwalk because Enwalk was still DJ at that time. So yeah. then Enwalk was like, like, dude, what's like, what's going on? And so like, Trey took the equipment but told Enwalk that he could have it. You know what I'm saying? So it was just like a lot of strange, crazy shit that was going on at that time. The shit got complicated. Yeah. <laughs> And just to let everybody know, like, like, of course, like at that time when shit is going on, like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm, I'm furious. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm mad as fuck. But then, you know, like right now, do I have that same type of anger? I don't have that anger. I just realized like more or less to do something now it's not like and not like I said. It's not that I don't love hip hop. Like I don't like I love hip hop. I love I love making music, but this is a business. Like like at the end of the day, like you can't avoid that. Like like it's a business, and it's a fucking job. You know what I mean? I think a, a lot of people don't really understand that. They think it's a party. You know, I think a lot of people that get in the business don't understand that it's a job and it's a business and it's not a party. You know, 
We have families, we have obligations, we have mortgages, we have this, we have that, we have rent to pay. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like any other job, you know? And, and then, like uh, I said, at that time, me, me and Imani, we, we both had kids. So it was like, it was completely, it was completely different from us. Like, it wasn't like, oh, we're just worried about us right now. Like, like, yeah. like there's this, this, this family dynamics that's playing into the, into the situation. And you, you know, I just also want to be very clear to all the people out there. You know, Trey is also a friend of mine. You know what I mean? So I, I don't, you know, I'm not. I don't know the story, okay? And that's what we're talking about, you know? And I think a lot of people don't know the story. And I think while the thing that makes this so interesting to me is that the far side is the first group that I can think of that I saw that went through this, you know, that had, you know, group members leave, continued on as a band, continued on separately as two different groups came back together, which is what I want to talk about also. And ultimately, you know, it, it's been a bizarre ride, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. You know what and, I mean? and, and not, and not to, not to cut you off, but like you said, like the other groups. So like we started seeing the, how other groups were able to work their dynamics better than us. We started seeing the groups that kind of was, and and I, I would never say mimic. Like you know, you basically saw groups. I think the door that was open was like, hey, there is this, there is this lane, and so the Will I Am's and 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 and, and Black Eyed Peas and the Jurassic Five people that kind of came after us, where some of the shit that we had to go through. I don't necessarily think they had to go through that that kind of mm -hmm. fire like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like mm -hmm. the 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 label kind of got it and was kind of like, oh shit, we know that this don't work. We know that this work. This is how we can market these people, uh, market the group, and and things like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So us us seeing that, you know, I think I think it's not even i think i remember seeing tribe kind of going through the same thing i remember mm -hmm. sitting there with tip and tip was looking at the fujis and he was looking at groups that came after tribe and was like damn like these groups are are not taking anything away from them but the labels kind of know there's a template set that the that the yeah. label can kind of navigate through certain things that that the other groups didn't have before that you know mm -hmm. and same with daylight like it was just like like damn like of course like it kind of sets your mind differently because you're like fuck like man like i'm over here slaving and you know i think it's dr j looking at michael jordan you right know what I'm right yeah well i mean the business had evolved you know what I mean? The business had evolved. Hip hop was huge now. You didn't necessarily have to go on tour with Corn anymore or, or, or Smash It. I mean, that's great. You can still do that. But like you said, bands like groups like Black Eyed Peas, groups like the Fugees, they were doing their own big tours. You know what I mean? Just as big, you know? And you guys were part of that blueprint, I feel like. The same way Tribe was maybe the blueprint for y'all and also maybe the blueprint for the Fujis, you know, I can certainly see the lineage from like far side to black eyed peas. You know what I mean? Especially, you know, from an from from a Cali from a Los Angeles perspective. You know what I'm saying? Right. But 
Okay, so you're looking at these groups. That's going through your mind. What else? And so as 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 these groups are rising to the top, we're looking at our shit disintegrate. And people are basically saying, man, like we're doing it for the love, but does does hip hop love us? Because nobody seems to understand, you know, in hindsight, maybe money wasn't the answer, but not having it definitely was <laughs> something that right. was kind of like, damn, like, like, fuck. Like, not having any know. money is never the answer, man. I mean, I think we can all agree on that, man. You know? Exactly. Okay, so so now Trey's out the group, right? So now it's, now it's, it's, it's Brown any money, you know, as the far side, you know? Yeah. What what year is that 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 this happens that it's official say, that the far side is now two people? I would say two thousand three four probably okay. was like the time that that we just realized like and you know Imani Imani been you know Imani and Trey been homies forever like since high school you know what I'm saying yeah so it was. I'm dolo solo, like man, I, I didn't know anybody. Like, you know what I'm saying? I met people through what was through through what was going on. I didn't go to school with anybody. I'm like, so I think it didn't affect it affected me, but I wasn't affected the same type of way because it right. wasn't my homeboy from high school. Right. But Imani was affected because it was just like, man, I didn't I didn't think my homie would do this to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. then it was just a very emotional period for him, for Imani, yeah. I was say. I mean, yeah. speaking on his behalf, you know what I'm saying? I think it was very emotional for him to just ex- experience right. that. What's the conversation now happening between you and Imani about moving forward? It's a it's a wrap. Like it's it's a wrap, you know, like like dude, we can't like like man, this ain't the far side. And a lot of people, I mean, even to this day, like like there's like there's still people to this day, dude, that ain't far side. Like and I can understand because if if you're a fan of Fat Lip, yeah, it's not. If you're a fan of Trey, yeah, it's not. You know what I'm saying? Like I I, I completely understand it. Um, but for me, I felt different because I felt like like far side. You know, as long as there's certain members in there or, or, or there's enough, like, like at this time, I felt like Farside was bigger than the individual members that it made. And I was like, dude, I'm like, I'm not throwing this shit away. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. I'm not just going to just throw it away. I'm like, dude, Farside, I might as well change my last name as much energy as I put into this shit. Like, yeah. like, like I could really use it. So I didn't have that kind of concept. And then. I looked at, uh, I think Brand Nubians was was a big thing to me because, you know, Poobah was definitely that member of, of, of Brand Nubians that was big. But then... The other guys... Dude, I, but, but the song uh, Love Me Leave Me Alone was a... Like, I love that song. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, dude, fucking Lord Jamal and, 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 and Sadat, Derek X is still doing shit. And, and man, they're... they're their biggest guy is kind of is, is not with the group and they're still coming out with songs that that's the shit like these songs are doing better you know what i'm saying so i i didn't feel that that it was well it was all over like that i didn't feel it was done so so was that a difficult period though i mean it, obviously it's a transition with now half the group is gone you know oh half, yeah 
the fans perceived the group a certain way as those four guys originally. Now these two guys are continuing on as the far side. What was that? So what was that journey like? Oh, so you just got to think like, and I and I can just be honest, like like I said, like Lip and Trey was basically if people looked at it, they they looked at them as as the guys of the group. You know what I'm saying? Like they like mm-hmm. people didn't perceive me or Imani as those guys. Like like we wasn't that guys. I I I can always I understand that totally get it why people felt that way. Did I feel that way? I never felt that way. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. from outside, people looking on was they felt that way. So. So now you just look at it like getting money for shows is is way less. Like like the financial thing is way less. Uh, trying to go out there and possibly get a deal is in there uh, uh, is, is a done deal. Like you know, like like all the opportunities, everything that that possibly get, it it, it was non-existent because they were like that's not far side. Like it was just every time we did something, like why you guys, why did I just change your name? Why don't you just go by this? Why don't you do that? How can you do this or do that? And, you know, I'm, and that's why, like, I'm having this discussion because I felt like after 30-something years or whatever, maybe this yeah. would be an explanation to why people. But I felt like I didn't do anything to necessarily make the situation what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. And so why, if I didn't make the situation to what it was, why should I take the hit like that? Why, why should I kind of cancel myself out? There is no reason why you should, in my opinion. You know what I mean? And I always thought, I thought about this quite a bit, you know, because I was part of a larger crew, you know, also called Quantum. For sure. You know? And, you know, we went through a lot of the same shit that our groups go through. You know, the talking in the ear. One guy's record sells better than the other guy. One guy's the favorite of the group. The other guy's the favorite of the group. You know, all those things. Every group goes through that. And so when I saw what you guys were doing, I understood. I understood. And and, and I can, I, I can, and one thing I, I picked up, I picked up two things. I was like, God, the fucking fortitude for these guys, these two guys to continue. You know what I mean? Because I knew what people were saying, what some, some people were saying. I knew what some people were saying. So, and I was like, but they built it just, all four of these guys built this thing. You know what I mean? And it's like, why should two of them quit? Why, why should any two? of these guys ever quit what they were doing you know they've all contributed to this larger this like you said it was something that was bigger than than the sum of its parts you know what i mean it's like why should anybody just hang it up you know i don't i don't i don't believe in that personally you know what i mean but then i could also see how difficult that must have been for y'all. You know what I mean? I could see how difficult that must have been for y'all, you know? And and that makes me respect what you guys did that much more. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot that there had, in my mind, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to create history here, but I'm just saying like, I could only imagine how hard that must have been. You know, some of those moments must have been it's still for the fans, and I understand what, like, I, I get what the, the fans yeah. fans want, but the financial, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't, I can't go into it, like, the way that we went into it before when we were younger, not saying that we're blind, but you went in it 
just young and not not there wasn't a care. You know what I'm saying? Now I just realize I can't I can't I can't jeopardize what I felt I built through all of this whatever's going on. Like if, yeah. if, I, if I do something, it has to it has to it has to it has to equal out to something. It has to like like yes. I can't just can't go into it that way. One hundred percent. And I mean, you know, this shit happens. Groups go through changes. You you know, I mean, why should a motherfucker hang it up? You're not gonna unmake those records. You guys made those records together. You know what I mean? Keep it going. You know, it's like I don't perform with Latif as much as I used to. I don't perform with Shadow as much as I used to. It doesn't mean I didn't make Lady Don't Techno. I'm still going to do that song. You know what I'm saying? It's like you, you don't unmake these songs. You know what I mean? And you, and, and, and you, you, you can't because, like, at the same time, when you go to present yourself, people want to hear that. Like yes. people, people want yes. people want to be take taken back to that time, and so it can't undo that because it's it's part of your fabric. It's part of you. Could I could I go to okay. a show yep. and not and not you passing me by? Like 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 there's no there's no way. Like you know what I'm saying? That it's, it's, right. it's impossible for me. To, I've tried. I I would love I would love if I could do it and pull it off, and people wouldn't want that. Man, I would I would love to try to pull it off, but. There's no way that like that's what the the fans are coming for that like so it's like you yeah. gotta you kind of gotta give them that you know. Let me ask you this because then I started hearing you, you know these rumors so so y'all continued on and I remember that but then I started hearing these rumors they're getting back together they're gonna do some shows all four of them this shit is about to be crazy right sure enough you know somewhere around like I, to my memory. You know, the late 2000s, late 2000s. It was like you know? 20, 2010. Yeah. 20, 2010, uh, Rock the Bells comes. You know what I'm Rock saying? Rock the Bells. Rock the Bells. Yes. First, Imani comes to me and he's like, you know, because Imani and Supernatural are good friends. So yeah. Supernatural was was kind of a hype man for, mm, for the yes. past tour. So... Shout so, to Supernatural. Supernatural. Shout to Supernatural. So Supernatural talks to Imani, I guess, hey man, guys, you guys should get back together and bring your bring you guys out for this, you know, for Rock the Bells. Now, Tribe is on it, Nas is on it, like already that these people are on it. You know what I'm saying? Huge. So we're like huge. So you have that. But at time so at the so at the same time, um, Imani, it was just one show. It was just the LA show. So I, so I tell Imani's like, dude, I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're gonna throw it all away to go fuck with that for one show. I'm like, dude, we from 2000 to 2010, like we've been trying to put this down with with us too, and it's it's just been a lot of work to try to just like the moment you step on stage with 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 that, just know that. We can't go back to the. It's going to be hard for us to go back to the two because people are going to say, "Hey, man, the four, the, the four is what we want. We got it. Like you can't go back, you know." You you said this to Imani, or Imani said this. To I you? said I said this to Imani because Imani Imani had Imani had already, like I said, Supernatural had came to him, and Imani was like, "Dude, I I just got to do it. Like you know, mm -hmm. like fi yeah. financial wise, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be something that right. I need to do right now." 
Well, that's it. That's it. I mean, okay, so let me ask you this. Had you been in contact with the other two guys for the past seven years at that point? Was Had, had you guys been in personal contact with each other at all? No, only the only con the only contact I would say that we were kind of going through was basically kind of that if you if you ever seen that Temptations documentary where like <laughs> there was they're like like hey did you know such and such got back together and they out touring you know what I'm saying and we're like what the fuck you know what I'm saying so now yeah. so now you got two versions of the same group going out and so Let's that was the, that, right that was the only thing that that was our only contact was like contacting each other like dude you know that's not right this is fucked up yeah okay Let, let's talk about that for a second because i, I actually I, that that was that was that was the thing man you know that was the thing and that was another way that that the far side had become a unique phenomenon right because this was the first time in hip-hop like we'd seen it in 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 like you said with with temptations and particularly like with old r&b groups is it was, you know, two versions or three versions of the same group or what used to be, you know what I mean? Like the OJ split up and now it's, you know, such and such in the OJs or such, the real, you know, I, I'm obviously that didn't have an OJ, but I'm just, I'm making a convenient example. Right, right, you know right, what right. I mean? So this is the, this was interesting because this is the first time we had ever seen this in hip hop where there were two bands coming i think so so y'all were the far side and they were caught and trey and fat lip because and latirix did got back together we we did a gig with them because i remember that because latirix we did a gig with the the fat lip and trey version and they, they were called bizarre i can't i don't even remember the name of, of what it was at that time and i'm like and as a music fan i was like happening to hip-hop now it's two versions of the far side, you know what I mean? Like at that point, I knew that hip hop had evolved in a certain kind of way, and we were no different than any other music in that regard. You know what I'm saying? And um, I mean, what was that like? <laughs> you know, was there confusion with the fans? It it, it was fucked okay. up. Like like like, there's no there's no there's no better way to put it. And basically. The crazy part for us was that Delicious Vinyl had came back into the game and was supporting Trey and Fatlip mm. and, and kind of was kind of was putting this narrative of like um this is the real far side and those guys are not the far side and how, mm. how they're gonna hold the name of the far side. Mm. So with with everything going on as far as trying to trying to hold it together in some type of way. Now, Trey, who basically felt that Delicious Vinyl was holding him back because Trey was the, ultimately the one that was like, hey, I don't, I'm not fucking with Delicious Vinyl. So, mm. like, now you have Trey back at Delicious Vinyl. Fatlip mm. uh, never was, you know, never, never kind of left Delicious Vinyl. He always felt, I mean, he did his solo project there. Right, yes. He always kind of had, so it always was kind of his home. Mm -hmm. But it was like, where it hit us, the point that it hit home was, I don't remember the year of what it was. I want to say maybe the 20th anniversary. Um, but I called Delicious Vinyl because I heard there, there was a reunion show going on. Mm. And so I called Mike and I was like, hey, Mike, I heard there's this reunion show going on. And, and Mike being Mike Frost from the label. 
Yeah. And Michael's like, nah, ain't no, ain't no shit. It's just some shit Jay Swift is putting together. It's just like, it's, it's nothing. Mm. And then the next thing I know, I'm looking at Farside reunion show being thrown at the key club and delicious vinyl is, is back in the whole thing. And all these people that was part of the crew was doing this show. Mm -hmm. And I felt it was fucked up because nobody had called us to told us and say, Hey man, this show was going on. Like everybody kind of avoided talking to us about this show. And I was just like, I can't believe this shit. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't believe that I'm watching people who kind of left the situation, and now they're kind of making it like, for one, it kind of made us look bad because people were like, well, how come you wasn't at the show? How come you wasn't at the show? And right. I was like, dude, I called, and people said it wasn't, it wasn't even right. nothing for. It, there was no, it wasn't going to be no reunion. It wasn't anything like this. Mm. So it was just, it was just, it was just really weird and really odd, you know. Yeah. What year was that? So that was the 20th anniversary of Bizarre Ride. So that was... I can't remember the year exactly. I just mm -hmm. I just remember like... And I remember I told I told my... I remember telling Greg, the manager, like our manager, Greg, I was just like... I was like, dude, I gotta watch this. I was like, I gotta watch mm -hmm. this whole thing, mm -hmm. this whole show. Like, mm -hmm. as sad it is, I just gotta watch it because... I want to see everybody who jumped on that stage and, and everybody who's accepting this. And I never want to fucking talk to him ever again. I was like, going to say. I never want to see these yeah. people. Yeah, I, I was, at that time, yeah. I, I, was, I was pissed. At that time, like yeah. my whatever, whatever yeah. frustration was, I was like, mm -hmm. I felt crazy because I was like, I'm being depicted as somebody who is totally going against situation. But I'm asking the questions like, hey, like, like what's going on? And then mm -hmm. I'm people are avoiding talking to me and they're not saying they're not being honest. And then then I'm being made to be like this kind of bad kind of person that mm. that kind of just I didn't want to fuck with them or, or you know, it was just it was just a weird kind of thing that was that was that was uh, going out there. You know, the narrative that was being put upon me and Imani was was basically like them guys are just stuff and they didn't want this to happen. So then I, I can only imagine then with you guys coming back together for for Rock the Bells and, and just everything in our conversation, it sounds to me like Brown is the Brown's the peacemaker. You know, Brown's the guy that's willing to compromise. Brown is willing Brown's the guy that's like Let's try to figure out a way to make it work with Fat Lip. You know what I mean? It's difficult, but let's try to figure out. Let's try to figure out a way to make it work with Trey. I know it's difficult, but let's let's find a compromise. You know what I mean? So for me to hear you say this offer from Rock the Bells for us to to reunite, I don't know if I want to do this. We worked too hard at this point to get to that point. I mean, for for me hearing you as being sort of the peacemaker, the bridge, the glue within the group for you to say, well, shit, I don't even know if I want to do this, man. You know, we. Well, Imani, so, so what happened was Imani, Imani kind of threw it in my lane. He was like, well, dude, if you, he's like, man, I know it's kind of fucked up or whatever, but he's like, dude, tell Chain what you want. He's like, tell Chain what you want. Mm. So when I get with Chain, I'm like, look, check this out, dude. <laughs> I'm like, 
Yeah. It ain't going to be no one show. It ain't going to be like this. Yeah. I'm like, dude, we'll do all these shows. But I'm like, dude, I need a million dollars. I'm like, dude, this, this, like, like for us to do these shows or whatever, like, dude, it's gotta, it's gotta be a hefty sum. I'm not, I'm not fucking with it unless it's a hefty sum. You know what I'm saying? So we do all the negotiations because at that time I already kind of knew what he was paying Wu Tang, what he was paying whatever. And I, I knew that basically the money wasn't coming from Chang. He was doing a deal with SanDisk. I knew that he had sponsorship. I knew that like right. the, that money wasn't coming from him. So I was like, like if, if right. we're going to be featured and we're bringing this amount of people out, we're going to do, I think it was like 20 to 30 shows or something like that. I was like, dude, like it, it's, it's not a million going in my pocket. Like you still got to divide it. They're still going to be expensive. Right. You know what I'm saying? This is what it's going to cost. And so Chang agreed to it. He, he agreed to like, he was like, dude, okay, we'll try to make it work. Mm. So basically, Imani says, name your needs. And that's that's what you did. That's what you did. And ultimately, he agreed to it. I mean, I can just tell you as a fucking fan, it was amazing. I mean, it was a beautiful thing to see. You know, I mean, I kind of knew third hand what was going on with y'all you know what i mean but as a fan I but, was see, like, but, but, is- but, at, but at that same time it, it's crazy because you see you see four people or we had a little band when we first started but you see the four people on stage but behind the scenes it's 15 people to, to pull this to make this right you know what i'm right. saying yes. and so there's a lot of of shit going on to to agreement when when it comes down to a final agreement like everybody got to be seeing things the same way and of, right. of course like we're not we're not all seeing things the same way because our we we are completely different people yeah i was looking at another documentary i was looking at was um fuck what's the uh the guy who was just drinking the 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 cranberry juice the the group and dog face fleetwood yeah, Mac. Fleetwood Mac. So yeah. Fleetwood Mac, they were. I was looking at a documentary on Fleetwood Mac the other yeah. day, and they were talking about once they came off their private plane, they all had, they all had their own limousines. Yeah. They all had their own private chefs, yeah. and so that was our mind state. Like, like, okay, we could do this shit, but at the at the at the same time, like, like, dude, like. We're not friends like that. We're not, we don't kick, you're not homies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like we all had our own ways of what we wanted. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. I understand that. Uh, as, as a, as an artist, I understand that. As a fan, I was fucking ecstatic. Okay. And, and, but it's it here. Okay. So here we go again. So, I, so 2008, nine, 10, something like that, which is around the time when you guys, right. I'm I'm on tour uh, with Charlie Tuna. You know, we're doing a tour together. We stop in Portland. At that point, Trey's living in Portland. Trey comes to the gig, you know. I said, hey, man, I, you know, I heard y'all got back together. You know, you're doing some shows. You know, he's like, yeah, we are. And I was like, how's it going? And you know what? I really respected this, man. I really respected this. He looked at me and he goes, we're working on it. You know, and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, we're trying very hard to make it work. You know what I mean? And I said, okay, I respect that. And I could just tell by the way that he said it, 
he said it in a way that, you know, the subtext that I got was like, this shit is not easy. You know what I mean? What we're dealing with right now, it's taking its toll on us. I read, this is what I read into the shit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The words that we did exchange about it. He's like, you know, it's taking its toll on us. You know, at that point, you know, it was 25 years or so since Bizarre Ride had come out, you know? So there's a lot of water under the bridge, man. There's a lot of history. I had di I did a tour in Australia with Fat Lip, you know what I mean? So I knew what that situation was like, you know what I'm saying? Just being around that energy, you know what I mean? Obviously, he's a brilliant artist, you know, but everybody has their own lifestyles, you know what I'm saying? So I knew what that energy was like. And um, I just, I just, I really respected his answer, man. I really respected his answer. And I really respected the effort instantly that went into putting it all back together. Even if it was just for a month of gigs or two months or whatever it ended up being, you know. I didn't want to do it. Like I, I was, I was, I was against it. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do it at all. Cause I, I just felt like the energy that everybody wanted, which I knew that basically going to perceive that we were going to go back into the studio and, and make records and do that kind of stuff. Right. But people have to understand like how we were talking was that the reason why our reds came out the way that they were was that we lived together. So the vibe and the closeness that we had wasn't there. So it was no way that people were going to be able to get that same type of feeling because there's no way that we were going to create it. it like the create the creativity going into it was not the settings that we were when we created the first two records. We're living right. together. So I was like, it's not it's not going to be the same. Like we can do an album, but is this album going to be a far side record? The, the kind of that everybody perceives. No, I, you know, and I, I understand that too i understand that point you know but that always happens man you know your favorite group gets back together you haven't seen them in 20 years and all the po in the fans minds all the possibilities start to turn you know what i mean same thing i saw happen when um when jurassic five got back together when j5 got to back together everybody said oh shit what if they start recording again what if they start making albums again what if they start you know they didn't do it either you, you know what i'm saying it's like Sometimes it just doesn't work on that level anymore, man. People change, you know, people change, situations change, times change, you know, and sometimes it's why we what we want as fans isn't necessarily what's best for the human beings in the, or right or appropriate anymore for the human beings that are in that group. You know what I mean? And, and you know, that, that's another thing that I should note, man. It, it's really easy, like, it, as angry as I would get at the guys in my crew, you know, and, and as disappointed as, as I would be sometimes when I would see my favorite groups break up or whatever or, or, or you know, for whatever reason couldn't keep it going. You know, the thing that I understand now that I'm older, man, is, you know, you're talking about four or five six guys however many people are in this group man with their own fucking childhoods their own trauma their own existence their own individual histories that they bring to a situation you only know what you know you know what i mean and you can't really account for all that for everybody you can't always reconcile 
all those things when you get together like that. You know what I mean? I mean, knowing what I know, I, I think we should just all be thankful that we had those moments with the far side. You know what I mean? With Yeah, and it, and it took it took years for me to understand, like, you know what, like just it was a blast. It was it was blessed to just be able to just have have those experiences in a in a certain type of way. Um but at the time we're going through it I, I just I didn't understand because I didn't I didn't understand the way that people would say do it for the love do it for the fans and it's like fans knew what it took to just even get this far like like you know what I'm saying well, like yes like shit man it's times where I you I just you, I just wanted to just not not saying suicidal type of shit but like shit where you just like man I I, I you damn near give up on everything. Like, because you put so much in, you put everything into it. Will stepped to us at, at Rock the Bells. I had Will, Will pull me over to the side. Will I am? Again, like, Will I, again, Will I am? Yeah. He okay. pulled me to the side. Now, like, yeah. Black Eyed Peas is Black Eyed Peas. Like, right. like, they're not, they're not, they're not at Van Clan. Will is pretty much, you know, he's, he's did. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yes. Will pulls me over to the side. He's like, dude. Y'all, you know you need to get this shit back together, Brown. I'm like, dude, <laughs> it's not gonna work. I'm like, it's not, it's not gonna be the same of what everybody feels. Do it. He's like, dude, and and maybe I shouldn't out it like that, but fuck it. Will's like, we don't go on the studio and record together like that. He's like, dude, yeah. it's not that. You know, we we don't do shit like that, dude. We we operate with with the way that we operate. Right. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I get that. I was like, I get it, but I was like, dude, like. That ain't gonna be what the people want. That's not gonna be what the people feel like, you know. And that was just my justification. I don't know if it was justification mm -hmm. of a cop out of, of people were gonna get the far side record that people wanted. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so I was just like, I I didn't understand if there's all this money generated and people are saying we're this type of group. Give us the budget that we feel like. Give us, give us the right budget. Give us, give us the right whatever. We'll go make this record that everybody wants. But when you start talking money, like right. nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I just like leave this shit alone. This shit ain't right. You know, I mean, it just is. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it's not always what we want it to be as the fans. You know, it's just not always going to be that way. Like I said, I mean, you're dealing with four individuals, four different histories, four different life stories, four different personalities, four different life situations. You know, I mean, it is what it is. And I mean, you guys put in a lot of very intense work. I mean, I don't know a lot of groups that lived together while they were recording two albums in a row. You know what I mean? That's a serious commitment. That's a lifestyle commitment that this band that this group made to us as listeners you know this is shit think of everybody listening out there right now do you live with your co-workers you know what i'm saying i mean think about that situation for a second you know i mean this is you guys made a lot of tremendous sacrifices to make these albums you know i mean and, and as you were saying so just imagine as you were saying and, and not not talking bad about somebody but as you were saying you you got a chance to to somewhat see back on Australia, just imagine living that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's like a total different energy. Like every day, you know what I'm saying? And just on a 
a small minute level that what you've seen like like you know it's 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 it's, it's something like you just like okay like and as you get older you get way more comfortable in what you're comfortable with and you're like you know what i'm not going back to that like man i could do that when i was a teenager that was cool when i was now there's no fucking way that i'm gonna go yeah i mean and i think that's reasonable you know i mean you can't ask a uh you know a grown-ass man to live the same way he was living as a teenager man just because you want a record you know what i mean just as a fan just because you want a record you know what i mean and Maybe people won't like that I said that, but I mean, come on, man. That's not realistic to expect that of somebody, man. You know what I mean? It's just not. Shit, were you the same way? I mean, I would ask anybody, were you the same way that you were 30 years ago? No. You know, so, I mean, I, I, I just don't think it's realistic to, and, and then to tell somebody do it for the love. You know, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, people, I hear people say that sometimes and I'm like, man, you got a long way to go with me on that one, man. I, I just don't know. We don't agree on that, man. You know what I mean? We just don't agree on that. And and that's fine. You know, I mean, but I I do understand, though, that these records, these albums affected people, including myself, very, very deeply. And so I, I understand how people have this really strong emotional connection to these far side albums, you know, and, and, and individually each member of, of this group. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I totally understand that because I, as a fan, feel the same way, you know, and me having had been in a, in a large crew, I I get it. But the thing is, you know, I, I think the real story here for me in in like the second half of the far side's journey is the perseverance, you know what I mean? And the fortitude that it took for everybody to move on, not just the two of you as a group, but, you know, also Lip and, and, and Trey separately, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, let's talk about that part now. I mean, let's talk about that chapter now, because obviously the far side continued on, you know, you and Imani continued on. I mean, I, I, people know that you guys, uh, did the, the, the album with souls of mischief, you know, I mean, that was, you know, the, the, uh, the, what was that? The mighty pythons, almighty, mighty pythons. For sure. Right. And, and I thought that was so creative, you know, that, that again, here are two, two of my favorite groups, you know, coming together to do something. And, you know, you, you still, I mean, you popped up on the gorillas album, you know, which, um, that was huge. How did that come about? We had did we had did like a like a song with uh, Danger Mouse. He had artists that he was working with in New York. <clears throat> he asked us to be on the record, and then uh, Danger Mouse kind of reached out, and he was just like, "Man, I need you to do this demo." And he didn't necessarily say what the demo was for, and so I just went and recorded. I had no idea what it was what it was for. Afterwards. He's like, oh, the track got accepted, and then he was like, it got accepted by the Gorillas. Like, wow. you know, through Dale, I knew that I knew who the Gorillas was. I was like, oh, this yeah. is this is something different. You know what I'm saying? This is a whole different thing. I mean, yeah. I didn't know to the level of what what it was going to turn into, and so damn near Gorillas was like the next family. I would say like that. I did as far as just the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I toured with Gorillas for shit from. From the point record all the way until damn there COVID came, <laughs> like like I would wow. I would just go out with gorillas, you know what I'm saying? And that yeah. was just that was next, the, my next journey as far as going out. And so, 
between, yeah. you know, doing shows with Imani Barside and going out with Gorillaz. You know, the Amp thing kind of like, it was working with it. Like when that all came, kind of came out, we were doing Humble Beginnings. And I was like, man, let's just, I just felt that me and Imani just need to get away. So we went out to the Bay to go record the record up in the Bay. And then I was just talking, you know, I just talking to Tajay and just was like, dude, like, it'd be dope. We should do pretty going out. Like, you know, we were, we were doing still together. So I was like, dude, yeah. we should do this shit. Almighty Mighty Pythons, you know, we should all have porn names, you know what I'm saying? Like names that sound like <laughs> porn stars and, and yeah all that kind of stuff it was just yeah. like this whole crazy idea that that i mean people enjoyed it like like we had did this tour called calicom at the time so it was kind of yeah. I, I would say more or less like the record that we were doing it was us it was planet asia it was motion man years later i did a calicom tour with uh it was with I think it was Grouch and Eli I did it. I, you know, what was y'all involvement with CaliCom? It was my understanding that Farsight started CaliCom or, or, or had something to do with actually the business of CaliCom. It was basically my creation of what I felt mm. that I, I wanted to create. I felt that, you know, I, I was like East Coast, they always have like things they do together and stuff like that. And I felt like, you know, even like the larger West Coast groups had it. You had the up and smoke tour with with the right. Dre and all them so i was like right. i was like man there's no there's nothing for our for our level so basically right. calicom and california communications that's that was mm. basically the the narrative of it and was like hey i want people to understand this vein of mcs and stuff that's going out people that people you know not saying i can't say that people didn't know people knew who planet asia was people knew who uh, souls of mission was but it was just like, let's go out together and let's become this force. So right. I, I was like, man, I got this idea of doing this tour. And Greg, who was, you know, who's the manager, he was like, oh, dude, let's 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 do it. Let's 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 make it happen. Yeah, it was just kind of weird industry type things. You, you do something, and then the booking agency at that time, who was the agency group, kind of just kind of snagged it away. I didn't really oh. have papers like that. So, I see. Okay, so yeah. that that would ex that would explain why like it continued on for a number of years, and you guys weren't involved with it after that. Yeah, like by the time yeah, I because, got because I, because I was when, when I when we were doing it, I was basically trying to. I was like, I don't understand why we can't have sponsorship. Like, if we if we have these groups, like let's reach out to Thrasher, let's reach out to all these like the the people who would put sponsor money into it, and and basically it just became a conflict because they were like. Oh man, you know, we'll get to that. We get to that, you know. So my last my last talk with them was like in Beverly Hills having this having the dinner. <laughs> of course, <laughs> get your dinner out of it. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Get the yeah. dinner and, and and us clicking clicking glasses because the first one was a success. Oh man, we did these 40 dates and out of the 40 dates, 30 was sold out and blah blah blah. And I was trying to for something. And they were like, oh, don't worry about it. Then the next thing I know, like, CaliCon 2 comes around, and then nobody calls us, and we have no idea what's going on. And it was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about your touring, because, I mean, obviously, the Farside, as a career, is known as a career-long touring group, you know, from Lollapalooza to all the tours that you did with all the other groups, rock and otherwise hip-hop and otherwise you know 
you guys are some of the first to do some of these really huge shows and festivals that were probably previously closed to hip hop groups. You know what I mean? You get back together, you do Rock the Bells, you start CaliCom. I went to what was that shit two years ago, man? Two or three years ago, the motherfucker Monsters of Rap tour. What was that shit, man? It was like Wu Tang. Dayla, it was up. It was in Mount. It was at the oh, shoreline. Yeah. Was it the shoreline? I can't remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I can't remember. The show with Wu Tang and uh, Eric B and Rakim and Dayla. Yeah, like, and that was like that. that was being porn. They had they was they had been on stage for like twenty five years or something crazy like that. Yeah, I doubt. Yes, yes. I, I never been. I, I don't fanboy a lot, but man, I, I fanboyed all the way with Rakim. Like I was like, man, fucking Rakim. Like man, this is this is yeah. it, man. This is the God. This is the God right here in front of my dude. I was like, I, the the fact that you went out and shared the bill with three generations uh-huh. of legends, like that, just blew me away. Okay, I everybody you. like. I'm sure that you and I were both fans of growing up. Yes, like Eric B and Rakim, De La Soul. To, you know, then you guys are on the bill, obviously. Wu-Tang is on the bill. And it was the entire Wu-Tang. It was, it was Old Dirty, rest in peace, Old Dirty, ODB. It was his son that came out that took his play and did an incredible job, I thought. You know, it puts you guys, rightfully so, it puts you guys in that pantheon, in that echelon, that upper echelon of legendary hip-hop artists, you know what I mean? That it's totally on brand and appropriate and historically accurate to have y'all on this bill with these incredibly important artists, you know? That was a really big moment for me personally. I was like, God damn right, they should be up there. You know what I mean? Like, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? How did that make you feel as as both an artist and a fan to be in that situation? Ah, uh, man, it was, I can't even say because basically I think it was more impactful because of all the drama that had that had we had went through and everything that was going on. And so to see that, you know what, we know it was four people, but fuck it. We still going to take you guys as the two people to come to, to come rock this and just do whatever you need to do. Where, like you said, like it was all a Wu-Tang, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was all of like there wasn't there was like all the other groups were like, you know, it wasn't just rocking with somebody else. It was rocking, right. you know what I'm saying? Right. So for us right. not to be a whole group. And to still be accepted to do that show, mm-hmm. I was like, "Fuck, man, this is." I, I can't even. I can't even say. Like, I felt like all the shit that I'm telling you about that we've gone through was like mm-hmm. somebody still understands and they accept the work that was put in. It was validating. It was vindicating for you. You're saying as as an artist, and I mean, you know, the cool thing for me was like, you know, I don't know if you did, but I was too. I, I always loved Eric B and Rakim, but I was too young to go to the concerts when they were when they came out in like 87, 88, like Fresh Fest and all those shows. I, I was too young to go to my mother wouldn't let me go to those concerts. And frankly, I don't know if they would let, you know, kids of that age to come in at that time. So here I am for the very first time watching one of my favorite bands or groups of all time play. You know what I mean? 
40 years later, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was or 30 years. Later, it was crazy to me, man, to be able to see that, you know, for, for, for me, it was like, you know, at the time when it came out as bad boys, it was LL, it was uh run DMC, yeah. you know, Eric B and Rakim. So to do that was like a full 360, like, like, damn, I really, we really, how many, how many dates was that? How many dates did y'all do on that? Uh, we only just did the one, we only just did the one date okay. in Frisco because they had more dates, but it kind of didn't, I don't know what the reason was, but it wasn't like every group did every, like, it was kind of like some groups, I think, cause I think Public Enemy was on, on other dates of the, of the, of the show. And then, um, I don't think, I don't think Rockham and Eric B did all, all of the show. So. You know, I wasn't worried about doing like the whole tour, but to just like to okay, we still can be able to do this. Like this. totally, so it's good. Did you get a chance to speak to any of those guys? I know you only did the one gig, but I mean, did you get oh, a chance yeah. to speak well, to any I mean, of them? I've met at, uh, Ghostface a couple of times. Um, everybody else, I'm pretty much daylight. I mean, I you know, shit, man. Dave and Dave and Poss and May, like, we were going together on fucking gorilla shit all the time so like we damn near right. like boobies type shit from that okay type of thing but uh okay. no no i got to talk to i got to talk to everybody like i said mm -hmm. the only person that blew my rock in because that's not yeah. somebody that you see all them saying so when i that's saw right. that i was like dude is it possible man i, I just man asked everybody for pictures like i didn't know if you believed me or didn't but i was like man i gotta take <laughs> god and I, absolutely I, I, yeah, it's people, people, it's hard for people to understand now. I mean, there was hip hop before Rakim and then there was hip hop after Rakim. I mean, you know. Like I said, I, I appreciate you answering these questions. I don't want the people to think like, oh, Brown is upset. He's, you know, like he's carrying this yeah. on his, like, like, let this shit go and all this type of shit. I mean, I don't, I don't have no ill will or mal malice towards anybody that, you yeah. know, they're doing what they're doing. It's just, for me to to move forward into a situation and now that i know that the industry is where it's at and you you it's not a question if hip-hop is making money like there's not the question that there's money being generated you have to be savvy as a businessman and not accept anything other than what what you feel you're worth you're going to what is somebody going to benefit like i know my worth to this to this situation and so, right. like, anybody trying yeah. to tell me to do it for love or, or just do it whatever, I, it's, just, it's just not happening for me. A hundred percent, you know, and I, you know, hip-hop or otherwise, I mean, I would probably give that same advice to anybody, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I, I completely understand. I completely understand and I relate, man. And, well, let's talk about what you're doing now. You know, what are you guys doing now? I mean, obviously we're in quarantine, you know, it looks like there is some light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and I know you guys are always working on new projects and so forth. So, you know, what is the far side doing at this moment? What is, what is Brown doing at this moment? So basically like I'll say even before quarantine for me, I got, I got big into the whole streaming podcasting thing. Not, not even during quarantine. I, I want to say I probably started in probably like five years that I've been kind of, doing this. I mean, I just have a different view of what I want to do. Uh, I mean, I had a long talk with Dave and Poss and I, I basically felt that me doing music at this time 
for me to, and I, and I keep saying me because I don't want to speak for Imani, but for me to continue with continuing doing music, I felt that music needed to be a hobby. Whereas first, it needed like my soul concentration needed to be music. Like right. I needed to put all towards music. But I feel now having family, I felt that music has to be a hobby because if I don't treat it as a hobby, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to, I'm, in, some, in some type of way, I'm going to give up. I'm just not going to be real with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give the music what it deserves. If it comes down that I got to feed my family, I'm going to give up because I'm, I'm trying to survive. Like, like music becomes a, a survival tool more or less than a creative tool. I think a younger kid, that's not, that's not the, it's the same thing. You don't have kids. You don't have things. You don't have to compromise your creativity. You can say, fuck the police. You can say, fuck such and such down the street. You can just do all this kind of crazy shit. You know what I'm saying? Right. But when, it, but when you're an adult, you will, you will, because, because you have a family, you have all these things, there comes a point of where the John Q moment, the, Den, the Denzel and his son, being on the on the on the bed in the hospital and he's telling his son dude i should i, I should have sold out i should have i should have i should have not had my pride you, you have to lose that pride when it comes down to your family okay all right i mean that that's a respect i respect that you know i respect that i i, I like every Barside fan secretly hopes there will be another reunion at some point, someday. No, I'm not the first person that's told you that. You know what I mean? What What is the relationship with you and the other guys right now? If it happens, it happens. If it, if it doesn't, I, I can enjoy the blessing of what we had, you know? Hey, that's a respectable answer, man. Listen, I, I, um, I, I promised that we would only talk for an hour, and we talked for three and a half hours. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. I know. I understand. Um, I understand. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I hope that just as the blueprint of what we did in music could also be the blueprint to people of maybe understanding the level of compromise that is put in the situation. And I hope that people kind of take, you know, I hope people take from it what it is and kind of just see like hey this is far side went through this shit and let's try to avoid this you know what i'm saying hopefully, hopefully i can I, people can uh, well take it. listen man i think ultimately for me uh as a fan and now after having had this conversation with you thank you so much i mean you gave me five hours man i mean that's amazing parts one and two we've never done that on mobile homies and i and, and i think let me tell you what i got from this man to me it, it's a story of a group that made incredibly important, groundbreaking, creative, adventurous, experimental, fun, wild, fearless music, man. And that that affected so many people, you know, not just I know myself, it affected the trajectory of my career and the decisions that I made in my career, musically and otherwise, you know. But it it just holds such a special space in people's lives, which y'all did. You know, it, it really does. And like, I've been getting hit up about this for the past two weeks, man, ever since before we did our first conversation. And it really, that, it, that really just speaks to the importance and the quality and the 
the sort of indelible space that you guys occupy. You know what I mean? And, you know, whether or not there were difficulties, whether or not, you know, there were challenges, of course there were, you know, and I get that. And and the other part to that for me is the fortitude and the persistence. And the, there's another story there about how groups and people change over time, you know, and how we adapt to that as people and how we adapt to that as artists, you know, and that part to that part to me is equally as inspiring, just in a different way to see how you guys continued on both separately, the two of you together continued on as far side and the way that the other guys continue, the way the train lip continued on in their own careers, you know, and on their own paths and on their own journeys. And it just, it also speaks to the complexity and the depth of, of human relationships, you know what I mean? And, and what, what it requires for us to, to function as a group and, and to work together as, as groups of people, you know, I mean, it, it, it's just, it's, it's a much bigger story than just this group, uh, than just this musical group, in my opinion. You know what I mean? But of course, it speaks to me and so many of us as a fan first. And I'm just really fortunate that I was alive to to experience the far side. You know what I mean? In this moment in history. And it's really been special for me to be able to talk to you about it. The challenges, the triumphs, and the victories, and, and everything in between. And I really appreciate you doing this with me, man, for for a grand total of over five hours, man. And I, I realize you don't do these that often, and that's why you know it just adds an extra layer of of appreciation from me to you. So I'm not going to hold you up anymore, man. I just want to say thank you so much, and I love you. And I want to say thank you, Booty Brown from the Far Side. I appreciate you taking time. So I, I know you got a lot of things going on and, and just to take time out to, to get down to the truth because some people want to know the truth and know the story. And I'm, I'm glad. I hope, I hope people can, uh, may, they may not like it, but I hope they can understand. I got it all. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. I love you. Have a great weekend, man. Booty Brown from the far side on Mobile Homies. Yo, thank you for listening to Mobile Homies. Make sure you subscribe and hit me with a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you catch your podcasts. For more content, hit up lyricsborn.com. Love y'all. Uh.